0: Just go to Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Morbid time, Nick. <laughs> a little Morbius reference on there, but we are talking Nets as always. And before we jump into a quick reminder, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. But, Jack, where are we headed?
2: Well, we got the confirmation of the deferring of the picnic from Woj news that we touched on in previous episodes. So, I mean, you might as well say that we've got the Brooklyn Buzz bombs now. <laughs> Uh, they're dropping left, right, and center from us. But we've got little tidbits that I think, and, and the deferring of the pick, obviously, that we're alluding to for those that might not have been listening, was the Nets obviously own the rights to the Philadelphia 76ers pick this year, but they also could have the opportunity to defer it to next year in the hopes that it could be a, a more juicy asset. They chose to do that, so they'll be using that in 2023, whether it's in a trade or whether it's whatever. They just That asset will be deferred until next year. But in speaking of nothing to sneeze out, Nick Claxton, Nick, we got questions around him uh, from D Rock and another listener who hit, up, hit us up in the DMs. He asked this, D Rock Is Claxton best playing the four, which he should off the bench behind Simmons, or is he best playing the fives? I argue Sh- Sean Marks must acquire two stretch fives since like our offense, and playing Claxton the four keeps him in a position to succeed. We don't need to discuss the the, the comment that uh, D Rock made secondly, but is Claxton best playing the four, Nick?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting discussion. I think we've kind of already alluded to in the past. There is some concern playing Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton together, given their limited, you know, offensive scoring ability. And also both of them are pretty poor free throw shooters. So that's a little bit of a concern. I think there's an argument Claxton would be maybe the best of the four with another kind of switchy five that could stretch out to the five. Because like we've kind of alluded to in the past is like. My theory on basketball and, you know, the best situation to be successful offensively is if you only have one non-shooter. So putting Clax next to a guy that could shoot either at the four or the five. But at the end of the day, I think for the Nets, their best style of defense is switching. And I think clacks at the five allows you to play that extreme switching style of defense. And it'd be pretty difficult to find another switching big of his caliber to really play that lineup not impossible but definitely something that wouldn't be super easy and would require a lot of assets so I'm not super concerned about Claxton playing the four of the five yeah in certain matchups it's not going to be great but also I think it allows the Nets to play a style that they really love to play and allows them to be really quick and athletic and run the floor offensively because Claxton's faster than probably 95 percent of the bigs in the NBA
2: when he's out there and when he's conditioned, which we'll, yep. we'll touch on in, in a second question that we did get, you know, on that free throw shooting woes, you know, Ben Simmons across the, the regular season is around that early sixty sort of mark. But last postseason, the most recent time we saw him playing basketball, 34.2 percent on 6.1 attempts. And Nick Claxton, you know, in the regular <laughs> season, you know, not it, it, it is, it's laughable. And Nick's choking on his own goddamn water here, guys. Um, the free throw shooting throughout the regular season, you know, and that was actually an improvement for Claxton 58.1 percent. That number dipped to 18.2% in the postseason. So, both of our, you know, superstar defensive players got some work to do at the most lonely place in the world at the charity stripe. So it's certainly an issue. But as you alluded to, Nick, if there are ways, wow. and you know, you've got to stretch five, or it's just, I think that's what the Nets looked best when we looked at, the, you know, previous seasons, postseason stuff, and you just see how space the floor is. It allows James Harden to do his thing gives Kevin Durant some space so you don't have guys sagging off of him and going into spaces because he could just make that whip out pass to Joe Harris, Seth Curry, or whoever else it might be. So something to keep an eye on when we dive deep into some of the trade stuff. But as I alluded to...
1: Jack, just one last point on that, sorry. Uh, I would also just say the Nets just really are never going to be that successful playing drop coverage with the players that they have and that eliminates a lot of stretch five options and that's why Clax is probably best utilized at the five or you find a four that's very interchangeable you know somebody who's a little bit thicker you know even if it was hypothetically like a PJ Tucker type who could bang with some centers down low and then Clax could spend more time on the wing I think ideally that's what you're looking for you're looking for another versatile piece maybe that's even Ben Simmons but Ben is such an elite defender too that it kind of you know it's like you just have that inner changeability with all those guys and i think that's what you're really looking for is just okay we can switch you know two through four really comfortably you know with Kyrie at the one there's a little bit of question but if we can switch to the other positions that's providing us a great plus plus. and look how successful boston was switching a ton of stuff
2: yeah i mean the great the, one of the best defensive teams that we've seen in a, in a very very long time the boston celtics will be interesting to see how they go against the golden state warriors as the finals do kick on I'm I think the way I think of the Nets Nick as w- what we might see them as is that there's got some decent front court options. It's more like front court and back court because I think Kessler Edwards in the future could be a small ball 5. Looking at his skill set, incredible rebounder, great athlete, just needs to fill out a little bit. Get those get those game reps under him. KD, small ball five, we saw it this season and it looked pretty goddamn good. Ben Simmons, we haven't seen that yet in his career, but I think he could be great at the five. Obviously, his rim protection isn't his number one, you know, elite skill. Klax is probably a bit better at that, but Klax, you know, is obviously, you know, the prototypical five that you want. So I think there's just interchangeability there where you maybe have, you know, and I think I got this in my draft somewhere, but KD, Klax, uh, and and, uh, as well as Kessler Edwards. Have, yep. Were a lethal combination, a truly lethal combination. And then you know you got Ben Simmons to sort of sub out for for Claxton or whatever. If you you have those two as your sort of fives, you have Claxton as your prototypical five, and then you sort of got a, a Dwayne deadman you know, waiting in the wings. Not obviously he was pretty awful for the Heat in the postseason, but uh, that sort of prototype, a Mark Muscala, you know, those sort of guys were just a a, a three and digger. Maybe it's on Sharp. We, we don't necessarily know, but. I agree with, you know, we're on the same sort of page there. So it'll be interesting to see how the, the front court and that five position will be sort of constructed going forward. But we got a DM from at BKNY only asking us to touch on Clax's availability and how that sort of affects his contract status. For the record, Nick Claxton across regular seasons in his rookie year played 15 games in his second season, played 32 games and played 47 this, games this season. So across three seasons, he's played 84 games. Not a lot. In fact, no, 94 games, sorry.
1: 94, um, yep. Yeah. Oh, man,
2: um, when, I t- <laughs> when I don't teach, it feels like my brain turns off. 94 <laughs> games across three seasons. So you're averaging out that up to be 31 and a bit games. So less than half of of, of games across the season. I'm not sure what the percentage necessarily is, but it's not great, Nick. And I I see the concerns there, but I also think that there are extenuating circumstances that are worth touching on as well. Is Nick Claxton an injury-prone player? Is it going, if you're going to give him a 335 deal that we've been talking about and has been reported, is that too much if he's only going to give you 47, 40 to 50 games a year? That's a, what do you think?
1: yeah, I think it's really interesting. and obviously, you want context on the situation. You know, this year was rare in the sense that he did get you know some type of illness. We believe it was mono in the off season, obviously hampered him at you know some point during the season. And I would argue the Nets probably held him out of a couple games in February around that trade deadline when he was dealing with that quote-unquote hamstring injury. But again, he has had a lot of these little minor injuries. And like we kind of referenced on the last episode, I think that's been some of the frustration with Claxton is you see him play at a high level, get hurt, now have to work himself back up, finally get back to that level. And that's where it gets concerning, I think you want to see him put on weight and size because he is obviously very thin. And, you know, this will give him a real opportunity to have a full off season. You know, last year, you know, with the condensed season and then also the bubble before that and all those things. And then I think he had a pretty serious shoulder injury his first season. And some of that was due to, you know, contact in, in an actual game. So there's definitely concerns, but he's young enough where you're willing to kind of see it moving forward. And it's not like the contract he's getting is completely destroying your books. It's not like he's signing, you know, a three-year, sixty million dollar year. We're talking about three years. Well, four fifty-five
2: thir- is four fifty-five the max that you can get. I think that's what. Yes, been yeah. So four
1: fifty. Yeah, even if he got that, you know, that would kill your books. Maybe, but three for thirty or three for thirty-five, I think you could kind of live with that. Especially, if, you know, maybe the last year is not fully guaranteed or something.
2: Yeah, I think it's certainly very malleable. And, you know, if you throw on team options in there, player options, whatever else it sort of might be, I, I don't think that's a bad deal at all. You're essentially looking at as a sort of lower-end starter pay. You know, like I alluded to, Vika Zubac, you know, Jakob Pertl sort of types. And both of those guys have been, you know, pretty successful in the roles that they have played. And I think that obviously their durability is something around Klax. And Klax's body is an interesting sort of thing. You know, is it injuries? Is it conditioning? Is it, you know, a combination of the two? Obviously, we'll, we'll see how this postseason goes. We've seen some glimpses of you know him and the rooks, you know, getting into the training center working out. I'm I'm not the biggest advocate for clacks, you know, putting on some weight and all that sort of thing, but strength is certainly something that I do advocate. Because you know, Bear Meta Bio isn't the biggest dude in the world. He doesn't look like you know prime Dwight Howard, but that dude's strong. You know, Anthony yeah. Davis was worse this season because I think of you know putting on too much weight. I think it's gonna be a, a comfort level and it'll be interesting to see how that is worked out. But I think it is a a fairly, you know, astute observation and and something to worth discuss. But I think Sean Marks knows that. And I think Klax's camp knows that as well. And hopefully this is, it's all been, you know, somewhat contextual and their aberrations. And we get, you know, 65 games plus of Nick Klaxon this season. If he has a a good solid off season, gets his conditioning right, you know, gets everything right for a a big future with the Nets or, or beyond. So something worth, worth, taking into account but i'm not totally worried about it
1: yeah i think uh obviously hopefully some better influences this offseason you know not hanging out with james harden should help we saw Uh, them
2: training together as well nick in last year's offseason
1: also partying together last year in the offseason too that is
2: well that is well yes
1: (laughs) so uh we could see what type of impact that is and what he's kind of doing for his body like you said not necessarily you know bad weight but you want to see him add good weight still able to kind of keep that mobility that he has but i'd probably argue i'd be more concerned with the fit of Ben Simmons and Nick Claxon on the court rather than, you know, Claxon's injury history. I think that's something he should be able to get over because he hasn't really had anything super bad. Knock on wood. Uh, more so rather than just like what's going to go with him and Ben on the floor just because it is obviously two really non-shooters and it's going to be on Claxton and on Ben Simmons to find ways to have an impact on the floor without having the basketball, be it cutting, be it screening. And I think that's area both guys could improve, especially if there's any hope in them sharing time on the floor. Maybe that makes it more likely for the Nets to entertain sign and trade opportunities.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, and I think the the reason why you know, there are reservations about it because the Nets have a lot of injury prone guys, yeah. guys coming off injuries and such. Katie's heading into his mid thirties, Kyrie Irving's had a you know a plenty of injuries in Literally the entire play. roster. <laughs> the all the, the the high level, you know, it's basically like Bruce Brand and Patty Mills. You yeah. Know, the other guys that uh, essentially you know, have been somewhat regular for this team, but
0: we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all.
2: Speaking of Bruce Brown, Nick, we'll dive deep into him finally, about 14 episodes later. I'm sure of the Bruce Brown stands will, will, will be happy. But I wanted to get firstly into, uh, we've got a Nets Twitter, guys, the Nets Twitter community. Nick's always putting that into the episode description. And we're giving you know, people an opportunity to contribute to the show. So we want to touch on their comments. So join our Nets Twitter community if you want to be part of the show also. This is from Graham S. Nick. The biggest question is how, and obviously about Bruce Brown, is how he feels about getting bumped out of the starting rotation. Is he optimizing for money, a championship? Was he just as pissed about his team that's not showing any fight in the playoffs as well? That's a, a lot of little interesting tidbits there from Graham S uh, as part of the, Nets Twitter, uh, the Brooklyn Buzz uh, Twitter community. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting perspective. And this is a point in, you know, Bruce Brown's career where he has to make that decision. It also could be impacted by the length of his contract. Maybe he's he wants to make one more run with his team. So he'll sign a short term deal and try to get that chip. And, you know, we talked about it a lot last offseason how he kind of felt bitter and he wanted revenge and they wanted to run it back. Does he feel the same way? I'm not really sure. We haven't necessarily heard a ton from him, but we know Bruce has upped his value and shown that he's more than just being this niche player and being that small ball five that's on the short roll with James Harden. He's doing a little bit more this year, obviously still room for improvement. And if he was brought back, I don't think he's a starter. You know, just even if the roster was as is, you're looking at, you know, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and probably another big so bruce is definitely coming off the bench and he's probably competing for minutes to some extent depending on what happens with seth curry and you know you know kessler edwards and the rest of the guard rotation whoever the Nets sign so that could really play into his decision making but at the same time i think he does have some love for the brooklyn nets and and his teammates
2: no there's a there is a desire and obviously you know credit to him because at the start of the season we were befuddled and as well as many other nets fans of why he wasn't playing came back in, you know, and obviously had his inconsistencies. A lot of it, I think, was extenuating circumstances surrounding James Harden and, and those sort of things. But, you know, beyond the the trade deadline, one of our best players. And, that, and yeah. that's not just saying, that's alongside Third Kyrie. Player. Third best player. And with, th- with you can make a credible argument that he was the second best player in the playoffs. You know, he, he was, and again, obviously extenuating circumstances, given the, the level of, you know, attention that KD was getting. And Kyrie's disengagement I guess is the the word that I'll just come up with for you know in the moment but I I think a lot of people are starting to underrate Bruce Brown you know in, in a weird sort of way because it's just like well Ben Simmons is there Ben Simmons is there is Ben Simmons going to be there you know it, it's you know clacks it. and I think that having a an element of reliability you know that you get out of Bruce you know what you're getting out of Bruce and he's improved that three-point shot as well so I think that we need to show Bruce a, a little bit more love and you know We've seen varying reports about, you know, the contractual, you know, desires that he has, he and his team has. You know, people are putting out sixteen to eighteen million dollars, which I thought was I had no idea where that where that the heck heck that was coming from. I know you found some credible sources that I'm sure you'll be willing to share also. It's I just think that if Bruce comes back, I'm not gonna be unhappy at all, Nick.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to really lose Bruce unless it's similar to Claxton, a ridiculous offer or a great sign-and-trade opportunity, which I think is something that could be on the table. And getting back to the last point as well, it's just like there is a chance that Bruce wants to showcase his skills more and have a bigger opportunity to have the ball, and that's where maybe bad teams are opened up. But again, like you said, with Ben Simmons, there's no lock that he's on the team. And if you re-sign Bruce, you re-sign Nick, now all of a sudden you know you have more flexibility to trade ben because he feel those guys can do some of the things that you use him to do obviously they're they're lesser versions of ben simmons but combined have similar skill sets to you know a bruce and a nick equals a ben or you know something along those lines so Rick.
2: oh yeah. no that's not a good combination i yeah. just realized nick. let's go with, with 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 brown brown axton we'll go with brown axton
1: yeah great player Braxton. No. Yeah. uh but uh, it definitely gives you more flexibility. And like we've kind of talked about in the past, you don't want to lose any good players because you're so limited in your ability to acquire players. And also, if Bruce is cool playing a bench role and just getting, you know, an upgrade in terms of his paycheck, that's fine because Ben's not going to play every game. He's not going to play every minute. And during the regular season, you can afford to play some of these, quote unquote, bad lineups. But also, he's a guy that will have value at the trade deadline, too. Like, he's a good player.
2: Exactly. And you, you can't do a Sacramento Kings and let both Bogdan Bogdanovich walk for nothing to yeah. you know Milwaukee slash Atlanta. That is just an absolute no no And if we see that happen, we can, you know, prove the the lack of desire for winning that Joe side does have because it's as simple as that. You can't let either of Claxton or Bruce Brown go for nothing. Yes, Claxton is the the one that everyone does want and I understand that because of his upside and you know the, the the untapped potential there, whereas Bruce is, you know, how much better can he get? I think he can get better because he's got a three-point shot that is improving and did improve this year. So I think. Both of them need to be retained. And I think it, it relates to a comment that we got again from our Brooklyn Buzz. Uh, Jack, just, and I'll
1: touch on the contract stuff. I forgot to mention that in. Yep. Woj, pretty much right after the Nets got eliminated, talked about Bruce Brown wanting 12 $13, 14000000 million a year. That's probably an agent leak. So that's the price that Bruce is looking for. Like you mentioned, the 16 to 18 stuff. I didn't see anything on the internet really about Bruce, that.
2: I, I I, mean, we know who it came from. We like those guys, but we don't want to throw them under the bus. But Bruce Bann also did like that tweet. I think it's just like, well, okay, someone's yeah. going to say this, and then I'll absolutely take three for 54, which I think is way over, because you also reported, you didn't report, you aggregated, which I, I heard as well when I listened to the episode of the, the tom pod where they were saying, yep. is he going to get more than the mid-level? Is he going to get more than what he got Um, with the exception that he yep. took this year with $5 million? All it takes is one but I agree that the market isn't going to be as great for Bruce as what we've already heard for Claxton. You know, you, you could envision Claxton, Charlotte, Toronto, Detroit, you know, a, a I heard couple Chicago. Of those, Chicago, all those sort of teams climbing for him. Whereas Bruce could probably go to a couple of those teams and it's probably better in sort of like a, a certain role that is you know, tailor-made for him. I'm not sure he wouldn't want to go back to Detroit, but I, I just still think that both of these guys, like you alluded to, Nick, if ben simmons never comes back to and plays a brooklyn for the brooklyn nets which we would be devastated about but we still have nick claxton and bruce brown we saw this year that both of those guys continue to grow as players continue to contribute in important and postseason games so it's just like look it's not going to be ideal but it's there's there's worse scenarios
1: yeah for sure i mean there definitely is worse scenarios in terms of losing different players and funny enough in 65 minutes per 100 possessions, Nick Claxton and Bruce Brown were plus 6.2. So I think they started developing a little bit of oh, chemistry. No, the stats
2: guy. What's going on here? <laughs> Nick's on out stats now. Damn, we got to lift my game. <laughs> I think
1: uh, we saw them kind of connect on a couple oops. You know, with that short roll stuff and finding that rhythm. We talked about uh, Nick's cutting on the last episode and then also Bruce's ability to just kind of improve. And that three-point shot's going to be huge in terms of Is he just a guy that teams are going to let score? And that's kind of what happened last year. And I think, again, like we've alluded to in the past is Bruce Brown's a good player, but he doesn't necessarily want to be a player that you need to super depend on. He can't be your third best player or fourth best player. Maybe he can be your fifth best player, but still you want to have him in the right situation where he's the only non-shooter on the floor or he's next to a guy that can shoot at a similar level to him, at least.
2: He can be the Gary Payton, the second sort of guy, you know, your your fifth to seventh sort of best player in a rotation. And, you know, if he, I also wanted to, it, the off season for, for Bruce, you know, I'm sure he's he's putting in work. That guy is a, a relentless and I love his attitude. The three point, obviously is something I want to continue to see, you know, the volume, you know, and just the, the quickness to just put it up as well as the handle. Because if he's yeah. gonna have the ball in his hands a little bit more, you know, like we saw in the latter points in the postseason, you know, he was attacked because you know the, the Boston Celtics were attacking everyone's handles. Yep. Kevin Durant's, you know, it, it was basically everyone but Kyrie, you know, Patty Mills. So if he can tighten that up a little bit, I think that would go a, a little bit of a way too. I think it's underrated having a tight dribble um, and what that can do for you and what how that can open up the game individually and for the team for you. So it'll be it's, it's interesting uh, just and some good questions and and i think I'll, I'll i don't know i haven't touched on the second one yet we just touched on a, a lot of bruce brand talk so we'll get to at shan underscore yuga again brooklyn buzz Nets twitter community guys get involved in the link description for the episode he says personally i think we should retain bb and hold on to his contract no basketball reason to let him go but potentially we can use his contract for future trades. Only reason I'd let him walk it is if he's taking more than $13 million a year, or we can get an asset back from a signing trade. I think that those thoughts totally reflect ours. Is that 13 million number, Nick, the tipping point for you?
1: You know, I think it probably depends on contract length and how the market kind of is dictated out there. I think are you gonna lose sleep if you sign Bruce Brown for two years, twenty six million? No you know what i mean or like two years 28 million or two years 30 million like is it that big of deal probably not especially if one of the reasons you're keeping him is as a filler you know it's more so on joe size pockets rather than any impact in the salary because the nets are already screwed in that department
2: so i ask you the a question that i have down would you rather bruce at 335 you know what we hear about clacks or 440.
1: who um Man, that that is definitely tough for me. I'm trying to think what would be more attractive. And you brought up this point in the past is probably the shorter deal, because if you're trading him, it's, you know, off the books if it's a guy that you don't necessarily love. And I think Bruce is probably more interested in the three year deal because then he can kind of bounce back and go grab a new deal because he's only 25 years old, turning 26 this August. So, you know, 29 years old, you can go out there, and get a nice contract for yourself or 28, whatever. So I think the three for 35 is the deal that Bruce is most likely to accept. And I think the Nets, it gives them a little bit more flexibility unless they truly believe in Bruce and want to lock him up long term. But I think, again, there's there's a minor question marks. And again, he's he is a smaller guard. He's only six, three, six, four. It's not like we're talking if Bruce was six, seven. There probably wouldn't even be a discussion about keeping him or anything along those lines. It's just he's a little bit undersized and just a little bit small for what the Nets need in some departments.
2: Yeah. Situationally, it's like we saw Bruce alongside James Harden and the combination they had, you know, the small ball Bruce, you know, Bruce at the five, that sort of thing, and their pick and roll combination. Now that James Harden is gone, you know, his value has lessened to an extent because of what he provides the team overall, but he's still a very good player and the diversification that he has to his game, he does a lot of things well. I think his defense was something that I really loved in the postseason as well. And I think it's something that got underrated. You know, he did some, he had some great possessions on Jason Tatum. Yeah. You know, I thought it was really, really good. Played above his, you know, basically our height, six-three, and he's guarding, you know, Jason Tatum, six-eight, six-ten. You know, when I see Jason Tatum sitting next to Kevin Durant, it's just like, damn, those guys are nearly eye to eye. So, I think that Bruce should get a little bit of credit there because he's, I think he's closer to being a wing on 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 isolation sort of defense than he is to being a small. I mean, I would, I think I'm pretty comfortable with both of them. Like he could guard, you know, a a Stephen Curry or a Jason Tatum, and I think that that defensive versatility is positive as well. Similar to what Clax has, I think you know Bruce is a better individual defender. Clax has more impactful moments and is better, like, as a, as a switch guy, you know, I think he's probably better on wings than he is on, you know, certain uh, beaks when when it comes to Clax, even though he had a, was really, really good against Joel Embiid in, in that sort of series. So just something that I think is worth talking about.
1: Yeah, Bruce has a 6'9 wingspan as well. So that obviously does benefit him, you know, given that he is a little bit shorter, I think it just gets more to their overall roster concern in this where it's not Bruce's fault. It's more of the roster construction, just having so many guards and guys that are undersized. And I think, you don't mind him in matchups against Jason Tatum, but you don't love it. You know what I mean? It's not like you would love to have a couple more inches there or a little bit more size because, you know, that's really where you can see Tatum get frustrated. Against some of the smaller guys, how comfortable he's got, he just kind of shoots over players. But obviously, you're worried about more than just Jason Tatum.
2: No, definitely. So, look, I remember, well, this would have been a couple of weeks ago. Let me try and find it. May 23 is when I put out what contract would you give Bruce Brown in free agency? And there were people ranging from, you know, that $8 million range to probably the max was at about $345. Would you go any above anything? And a lot of people actually did say $345, Nick, uh, as that sort of, you know, that sort of high-end sort of range. And you alluded to, you know, the sort of contract length probably being more of a sticking point. You know, you'd rather 345 than 450 Do you think that 345 is where we, we could see something. Where do you see it happening? What would you give Bruce if you're Sean Marks? Obviously, you know, where does the sort of you know Sean Marks is probably scouring out, seeing whether, you know, a sign and trade is probably possible or, or is possibly possible. I'm not sure if I'm saying the words right <laughs> today. Man, I need to I'm teaching today. Um in saying that. What would you do with the contract if you're sure, Marks?
1: Yeah, I think overall you want to let the market dictate his value, you know, right off the bat because he's such a unique player. And like they kind of alluded to on the dunked on podcast, like how many teams are going to be interested And a lot of the cap space teams are bad teams. So are they, are they really looking for Bruce Brown? You know what I mean? So I think the mid-level exception market is going to be looking at Bruce because he's that type of player that can be added to a playoff or a contending team and really have an impact. I think, I'd love to have him for under 15. I think when you get over that $13 million mark, that's where you get more intrigued with sign-and-trade opportunities because that's most likely coming from a good team that's trying to beat out one of the mid-level exception teams. So if there's an opportunity to trade Bruce in a sign-and-trade deal where you're gathering an asset or a player that fits a need for this roster – I think that's where you start to do it, but if you can keep him at good value, you know you look to do that as well. So overall, I'm I'm just letting the market dictate Bruce, but I'm not letting him walk for free unless it's over fifteen million dollars.
2: Yeah, I mean we got two twenty nine. Was that Torian Prince deal that we saw a couple of years ago? In I think it was around twenty nineteen or, or something around that sort of range. I could see Bruce getting something like that. Yeah, it's going to be you know it'll go would, two I'd ways be good with it. Yeah, if it's just like Bruce, all right, we'll give you two years inflated money or we'll give you three years, 35 or something, you know, three years, um, something less than 40 around that sort of max 38 sort of range. I think that that's where you sort of go and there'll be, I think there's goodwill between both parties. We also did hear Bruce say that he would like to be back, but he hasn't thought about it yet. But, you know, he's in free agency. He has the, the right and opportunity to explore his options, as I'm sure the Nets will do, you know, with him if sign-and-trade possibilities are sort of around. But I think that more so than Claxton as an asset, is probably higher rated because there are there is interest in him. We know that. You know, in, in last year's trade deadline, there were reports that the Nets tried to move him, and Toronto had some, you know, pretty significant interest in acquiring him. We know that you know he'd fit pretty well in, in Charlotte and Detroit and, and some of these other teams, Chicago, like you alluded to, Nick. So I think Bruce Brown as an asset, that gives you a bit of leeway if you're in the Nets. But Shaw Musk has also done, has been relatively you know, gracious and, and and pretty sort of he gives out money. He, he wants to reward his guys. Yeah. You know, guys that have been a part of the organization that have been, you know, Nets guys and, and have shown commitment to the franchise. So, you know, we saw Joe Harris get, what was it? 473, 479 or something around that sort of range, because, you know, he wants to retain him. He's a Nets sort of guy. So I'll be intrigued to see where that number does land. I'm hoping for something like 230, 229 or something like 335. But if we get 340, I'm cool with that. It's more the the year length. I think 340, 345 is the absolute max that I would go. But again, if it if it that's what it takes to retain him as a player within the organization on the court, as well as an asset to trade going forward, pay that extra five million dollars. I don't care what the luxury tax is, Joe. You got to do it, mate.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something to consider. And like I said, when you start to get to the higher numbers, you know, who are you competing with? Is there a sign and trade opportunity out there? Because, you know, just looking at the teams that are supposed to have cap space, you know, we're looking at the Orlando Magic, we're looking at the Indiana Pacers, the Detroit Pistons, the San Antonio Spurs, none of those Portland Trail Blazers, and I think the Blazers have bigger targets than Bruce Brown. You know, do any of those teams really interest you know, Bruce Brown in terms of going there unless they're just throwing a big deal. And do any of those teams really want to throw a big deal to a complimentary role player? You know, I'm not really sure. That's why I think there could be some sign and trade opportunities with Bruce or, you know, somebody could just throw the mid-level exception. And I think if they throw the mid-level exception, that's kind of easy for the Nets to match that and just go one or two million dollars over and give them the same deal. And then he gets to stay in Brooklyn.
2: Well, I, I've had the – in one of my links was the Nets Daily article talking about how the Celtics are a rival. And again, that was reported by Sean D'Avini of Heavy. I don't think that's going to happen, especially I, with I Grant at Williams. It, I looked
1: at their numbers after you sent me that, Jack, and this the Celtics will probably have the taxpayer mid-level exception. And which,
2: they're going to want to pay Grant Williams. I think they'll yeah. prioritize him over Bruce. But also within that report and within that article, Nick, you know, I'm not sure if this is reporting from Nets Daily, but in the the sentence here, speculation is that the Nets will be willing to go as high as eight to nine million dollars. So it's that's probably a Nets leak, and the one that you reported from Woj is probably an agent leak. So where's that middle ground? Ten, eleven million dollars seems to be pretty sort of fair both ways. So it'll be intriguing to see where where it does sort of uh, eventuate going forward. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what Bruce can do.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested to see who gets more money too between Nick Claxton and Bruce Brown. Obviously, Bruce is the better player and he's proven that right now. But you know, Clax is kind of this wild card that could really turn into something special. And you know, he's very unique in the sense of having a big that is so switchable. I think people really underestimate that. But also, like we talked about, with Bruce his versatility and uh, ability to impact the game in so many different ways. And you know, minus Ben's, if you know, hypothetically, Ben Simmons is on this roster, I can talk myself and the Bruce Brown so much more. It's just that I start to get a little worried when now you're talking about having three non-shooters and three guys you want part of your rotation. And Two then and pretend- a
2: like got to give yeah. Bruce a little bit of credit, Nick. He's been shooting okay.
1: Yeah, he's 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 still the guy, though, that the team is going to leave open until he starts hitting.
2: Agreed, but he's not a non-shooter to the extent that Ben Simmons and Nick clacks are. Yeah,
1: for sure. He has a little bit to his game, and obviously it's a slow three-point release, and he showed more at the end of last season than the overall. I think... I can't call him an actual shooter until he gets up to, like, three attempts. You know what I mean? Three attempts a game and where he's just kind of letting it go because Bruce also had this thing where, like, he missed his first three. Sometimes he just wouldn't take it the rest of the night. But, again, it's also – who can they add? You know, is there another fourth non-shooter on their roster? De'Ron Sharp obviously is not really a shooter at this point, but he's probably not going to be in the rotation as of right now. So I think it just, it gets intriguing when you get to the roster construction. You don't want to make the same mistake you laid last year with having too many non-shooters. And we talked about that in a previous episode. Pretty much the entire offseason last year was a bust because none of those guys could shoot well from three.
2: Yet again, Nick, it is a beautiful day to sign Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton, Joe
1: Yeah, it is beautiful. So, Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And check the buzz on all stream platforms.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears.